So I've had this struggle throughout most of my life in which I've allowed things that um, are not really that important to become way too important to me. So the very first computer that I ever had was a VIC-20, all right? So this is pre-Commodore 64. Um, this dates me quite a bit. But it was a cool computer, but it had 5K of memory, not 5 megabytes, not 5 gigabytes. It had 5K of memory. It, it you couldn't, didn't have a hard drive. It didn't have a disk drive. The only way to save anything was called a data set recorder. It was a cassette deck, but it worked so poorly and it was so slow you hardly used it. And so as I was um, first learning to do that, I decided I want to learn to program. And so I got a book about basic programming, okay? It's just line-by-line line text. And so I got this book, and on the last, there was like these four pages. And if you typed all of the program into it, you could actually make the cursor move from one side of the screen to the other and back. I was so excited. I'm about two-thirds of the way through this. And again, there's really no way to save anything on this computer. I'm two-thirds of the way through it when our dog, Duke, walks into the room, and he walks up underneath the desk that I'm in, and I'm like, Duke, don't go there. And then he bumps into the desk, and he's a big dog, and he gets excited and kind of nervous because he bumps into the desk, and he takes off this way, and in the process, runs into the power cord and unplugs it. And everything I had just worked all that time was gone. It was really a good thing the dog ran fast because I wanted to kill the dog. I wanted to end that dog's life. And it's like in those moments when I, you know, get mad or angry or anxious, it is just so easy for me to allow the things that are insignificant to become so significant. This whole idea of allowing that which is temporary to switch places, which the things with the things that are truly eternal. I mean, whether it's me being impatient with my family, you know what, it's time to leave, and, and thinking, you know what, if we don't leave right now, the world's going to fall apart when I forget about the fact of how important my family is, and I want them to know I love them, and I can be patient with them. Or like last year, no March Madness in 2020. It was the worst possible thing in the entire world. I mean, it was just awful. I couldn't watch March Madness, except for the fact that over half, uh, half a million people died in our country alone from COVID. It's like it's so easy for me to allow that which is temporary to become so important that I forget about that which is eternal. My guess is some of you uh, have the same scenarios running through your life in different ways. Maybe you got a new car, you don't want anybody to eat or drink anything in that car, right? Because at that moment, it's so very important. Or you got that kid in your classroom that you just, you would rather not have in there. Or that boss, or that project, or that deadline, or those people driving down the interstate. And it's like, we have all of these circumstances which it seems like at that particular moment, it's so important, right? It's so significant. It's like the most important thing in the world when in reality, it's not. And what happens to us is that we allow the temporary to become more important to us than that which is eternal. Now, the, the reason that that happens to us is because we've been fooled into mixing those up. We've been fooled into allowing the temporary to become like it's the eternal and the eternal to become like it's temporary. 
And the way we've been fooled is because we have an enemy, Satan, who pulls the wool over our eyes and he deceives us into thinking that this life is the most important thing ever. That the things that we do now, the things that we're invested in, the things that we're a part of, there's nothing beyond this that is as important as these things. And when we think that the temporary will last forever, what happens to us is our priorities and our values get all messed up and all out of place. And so, thankfully, what, what needs to happen to us is we need to regain a sense of balance right, between learning to be able to recognize that which is good, right, because there's a lot of good, but not allow that good to take the place of that which is spiritual. Or we struggle and wrestle a little bit with that which is earthly, but what we need to be focused on are the things that are godly. We spend so much time on that which is temporary, which we have to do that in our lives, but what we need to focus in on those things that are eternal. But that's where God steps in. And one of the things that Jesus taught about when he was on this earth was that there are things that fool us. There is an enemy that deceives us. And that Jesus taught us some things about what is to come, about those things which are down the road that help us to have a perspective that when we allow the temporary to become too important, it gives us the right viewpoint, it gives us the right vantage point. It, it allows us to be able to recognize that, you know what, there's something more real than what happens right at this moment. And so that's why we're in this series starting today called The End, um, that this life doesn't last forever. And so Luke records for us several of the different teachings of Jesus about the second coming, the end of time, judgment day, those things that are to come. They're a sure thing that is going to happen to us, but Luke records several different places where Jesus talks about these kind of events. And he tells parables, he uses illustrations, um, the temple and other things, all with the idea or the view to be able to help us to recognize what is real and what is good and what is the best and what is eternal. And in the midst of teaching us all those things, what we learn is that God has something so good in mind for us. Because God doesn't want us to spend all our time on that which is temporary and won't last forever. He wants us to have a life of goodness and a life of blessing, a life of meaning, a life of significance. And so he talks to us about something that is to come and eternity he speaks about that because he knows how Satan can influence us and tempt us and distract us away so that we spend all this time focused on that which is temporary. And so the question that we're going to wrestle with throughout this whole series that comes from this particular part of Luke is this, am I living for this moment or am I living for eternity? Am I living for this moment or am I really living for eternity? Because Jesus wants us to live in reality. 
He knows what's real. He knows what's true. He knows what we need to focus our time and effort and our energy on. And so he spends this time in the Gospel of Luke. It's Luke chapter 12. So I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to that. Those of you online, please have your Bibles open so that you can follow along. But Jesus wants us to know that that he someday will return and this life will not last forever. And so he tells us three different parables that we're going to look at at least here in Luke chapter 12. And so here's where we're going today, and it's simply this, that living with an eternal perspective readies us, it prepares us, it helps us to see reality, what is real and what is true. So the very first parable that Jesus tells us here begins in verse 35. So follow along with me. So this is Luke chapter 12, this is beginning in verse 35. So Luke writes these words of Jesus, Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or towards daybreak. So it's a... It's a story that would have been very common. It was an event that they would have understood, the servant-master-master-servant relationship in that day. Many of them who would have been reading got Luke's account. Many of the ones Jesus ministered to were probably more on the side of being the servant. But there were some masters there. But it was this picture of this relationship. And the master goes away, right? He goes to a wedding banquet. Could be his. Maybe it's somebody else. But the deal is he will come back. That is certain. That is sure. The problem is the servant hasn't been looped into the schedule of the master. He has no idea when he's going to come back. And so the idea of this is he needs to be ready. In fact, Jesus uses a couple of different phrases there. Look at verse 35. He says, be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. Be dressed. Don't be sleeping in the chair, right? Don't be in bed, Don't have your pajamas on. Be dressed, ready for service. In fact, have your lamps burning. In other words, a lamp that had the oil, right, and the wick. So you had to make sure it was ready and trimmed because when the master comes home, you need to be ready with the light because you are a servant to this particular master. And so the phrase here is basically code for this constant state of readiness for the master's return. And then he uses a second phrase, the next verse, verse 36. He says there, um, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. The idea being, it's not just that I'm ready for him to come home, but I'm anticipating it. I'm ready for, you know, the knock at the door to come. I'm sitting there ready, anticipating that he could come. And the question that Luke reveals to us that Jesus wants us to consider is this, are you ready for the return of the master? Are we ready for Jesus to come back? So how does one get themselves ready for Jesus to come back? Well, there's a word that is used there. He talks about be dressed and ready for service, to be dressed. That is a word that is at times in the New Testament used as a picture of us receiving Jesus Christ in salvation. In other words, that I 
put on Jesus Christ, that when I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I recognize I can't save myself. There's nothing that I can do. And so I put my full trust in Jesus as my Savior. Well, here's how Paul says it in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. He says, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have what? Have clothed yourself with Christ. It's a picture or a metaphor, this word of being clothed. In fact, in the book of Revelation, it talks about the white linen that the saints wear. It's a picture of, it's not that they're pure, it is that what they have put on or whom they have put on, which is Jesus Christ, is pure. In other words, to be ready for the return of Jesus means I have chosen to accept him as my Lord and Savior. I put my trust in him. That's the way to be ready for the return of Jesus. And yet the concept of the phrase that he uses there is not just this one-time act, as critical as that is, but it is continually to allow God to work on my heart and my life to change me, to become the person that he wants and needs me to be, that I live dressed ready to serve him in whatever he needs me to do, knowing that he could come at any time, and I anticipate that. So that's parable number one. Parable number two is a a parable about a surprise guest. Now, most surprises are pretty good, right? Um, So um, Patty turned 50, and we had a surprise party for her. Um, None of our kids lived in the St. Louis area when she turned 50, and so the surprise was all of her kids came back at one time or another. Our youngest, Christy, was the first one to come back, and so do you think my wife looks surprised here in this picture? This is Christy walking into the living room, or into the office upstairs, and she wasn't supposed to be there. And then surprise two was Kelly, surprise three was Kevin. It was a very fun. Some surprises are so very fun, aren't they? This is a surprise that honestly is not all that much fun. It's a surprise that if we're not prepared for it. So what does he say? This is parable number two. This is verse 39. He says, but understand this, if the owner of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would have not let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So now Jesus, and again, it's the second coming, him returning, is likened to a thief. Now, good thieves... I don't know, are there good thieves? But anyway, good thieves don't call ahead and make an appointment to say, hey, by the way, I'm going to come to your house at 2 a.m. and I'm going to break in and steal all your stuff, right? They do it at a time when we don't expect it. And this picture, this idea of a thief, Jesus being a thief, is actually in several places throughout Scripture. Here's one in uh, 1 Thessalonians. Paul says this in 5.4, but you brothers and sisters are not in darkness so that this day, here it is, should surprise you like a thief. In other words, the day of Jesus' return, his second coming, and it's the idea of surprising him like a thief. Here's another passage from Revelation. Um, John writes this in recording the words of Jesus, look, I come like a thief. So Jesus even says, I'm coming like a thief, but blessed is the one who, here it is, stays awake, right? I'm paying attention, I'm watching, and remains, here's that word, clothed with Jesus Christ so as not to go naked and to be shamefully um, exposed. The idea of this parable is simply this, that those 
who are caught off guard will not go without loss in regard to the second coming of Jesus Christ. So then we have one more parable. This is parable number three. But it's interesting because this parable it comes as a result of a question by, G, uh, by Peter himself. Verse uh, 41, Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? I love Peter. Lord, is this going to be on the test? Do I need to be paying attention here? Should I write this down? You know, are you talking to me or can I zone out again right now? I mean, I love Peter. I also love, do you notice in Scripture when um, people ask Jesus questions, he rarely ever really answers the question. He usually either asks a question or, like in this case, he tells him a story, all right? So this parable is told in reference to Peter's question. Do I need to pay attention here or is this for other people, right? So this begins in verse uh, 42. The Lord answered, Well, who then is the faithful and wise manager? So you notice now we've gone from a servant, right, that's the role, to now a faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. Now, the the struggle in this particular passage is who exactly is he talking to? That's Peter's question, right? So there are some who say, well, you know, because he talks about the, you know, the steward manager, that he's probably talking to, you know, leaders like Peter, the apostles, those who are in charge and stuff, or maybe elders or pastors or something like that um, in our day and stuff. And, and that makes some sense, right? Because he talks about, you know, watching over others and feeding them, eating needs and all that stuff. But Luke and uh, Jesus oftentimes calls us stewards. In other words, you and I have been given gifts, opportunities, um, time, talents, um, passions. We have been given all these gifts by God. We have been called oftentimes, time and time again in Scripture, to be stewards. And so the question really is, am I faithful as a manager right now? I mean, the, the idea of this particular parable is, what am I doing right now as I anticipate and wait for Jesus Christ to return? What am I doing right now in the context, really, of the church family what am I doing with the gifts, time, talent, opportunities that God has given to me? Am I using them faithfully for Him? Because if I am, that's a part of being ready. If I'm living right now in light of eternity, one of the things I'm doing is I'm faithfully serving God by serving His people and others with the gifts, opportunities that God has given me. When we live in light of eternity... We're faithful with what God has given to us when he returns. So now, there's also, though, an opposing picture here. Okay? So we've got the wise steward manager, but there's an opposing picture, which is hard. Okay? This is challenging. He goes on, verse 43. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master's taken a long time in coming. And he begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he is not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. 
The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what that master wants will be beaten with many blows, but the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded, and from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. There are those who take advantage of the delay of Jesus Christ, who know that it's possibly coming, and you you realize, you know, it's a long way off, and so they choose to not be faithful with what God has done and given to them. There are some people that are like that. There are some people who make that particular choice. Some of those people don't know any better. Some of those people do know better. And what Jesus is getting at in this passage is that there is a day of reckoning coming, a day in which we will be held accountable for the choices that we have made in this life, the things that we've done with what God has given to us. This is very clearly a picture of judgment because there's a sorting that happens here, right? You've got the wise and faithful manager on the one hand, who is prepared and ready and faithful what God, what God has given him, and you've got the foolish manager who's on this hand, who takes advantage of the delay and who uses what God has given him only for his own selfish means, what he wants, what he needs. In fact, he treats other people poorly. You know, he doesn't meet the needs of other people at all. This is very clearly, and, and there's some hard things in here, cut him to pieces. You know, that's challenging. And You know, some will be beaten with few blows. Some will be beaten with many blows. I mean, Jesus is trying to get us to understand that the implications of our choice in this life are significant, that they're serious, that you and I need to be paying attention to being faithful with God at this particular moment. And the real question is this, Are we ready for the judgment? What we do in this life echoes into eternity. So in all three of these parables, there's a very clear message that Jesus gives to us, that when we live with an eternal perspective, God helps us to see reality. God helps us to understand what is going on in this particular life. What's happened here is we have been uh, granted a glimpse into a very sure future, that we've been given a picture of what will come. It is going to happen. There is no doubt that the master will return, and the implications are very, very serious. My guess is some of you are wrestling with something right now in regard to our conversation, and it's this. What about grace, Doug? I mean, doesn't Scripture teach that when I accept Christ, that I'm saved by grace and that I'm forgiven, right? Past, present, future. I mean, what about grace in this whole discussion? And you are absolutely right. We are saved by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, right? When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we can absolutely know for sure that our past and our present and our future, it is forgiven by God. He loves us. We are His children When I step in front of a group of people and I confess my faith that I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I say, I'm going to live from this day for Him no matter what, 
Because when we do, like Paul says, we're baptized into Christ and we're clothed. When we put our trust in Jesus Christ, absolutely we are saved by the grace of God. But grace does not end accountability. Grace is about God having a people who are so joyful at the forgiveness that they have been given, that they faithfully, zealously serve God in whatever way that they can. Because you see, God is very interested in what you and I do with the gifts He has given to us because everything we have comes from Him. That's why Jesus ends these parables with this passage there in verse 48. From everyone who has been given much, that would include all of us in this room and what God has blessed us with. From everyone who's been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. See, those gifts of opportunity that God has given to us demand responsibility. Servants are responsible. Grace does not end accountability. So why does Jesus tell these parables? Why does he tell these stories? Because he wants us to not be fooled by the deception of Satan that we all wrestle with every day. I know I do. In which I get distracted from the things that are are significant and most important. Find myself focusing on those things that maybe are good now and I have to pay attention to them. But in the long run... It's Satan pulling me away from that which is most important. He wants us to have this eternal perspective so that we can see what is real, so that we can be ready for the return of Jesus Christ. So maybe you're like me and there are times where you've been fooled into switching that which is temporary for that which is eternal. Has Satan pulled the wool over your eyes into being deceived and distracted from what God really wants us to pay attention to. We can continue to pretend or we can accept the truth from Jesus Christ. Do you want to know what it is? The matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now in this very room, you can see it when you look out your window or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? That you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. (sighs) Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. This is your last chance. 
After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. It's time for some of us to stop the pretending, to <clears throat> allow Jesus to show us the reality as he says, you must also be ready because the Son of Man comes in an hour when you do not expect it. We need to be ready. Living with an eternal perspective allows us to see reality. So how do we make ourselves ready? We make ourselves ready by, number one, clothing ourselves with Jesus Christ. If you've never said yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never put your faith and trust, if you've never stood in front of a group of people and confessed his name and said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, Son of living God, if you've never been baptized into Jesus Christ, you need to clothe yourself with Christ. You need to say yes to Jesus Christ. But we also make ourselves ready by being good stewards of what God has given to us, right? For much has been given, much will be required. And so we need to wrestle with them. You know, this is hard right now, isn't it? Because of COVID, right? Some of us, it's been pretty easy to be able to sit back and kind of chill and relax. And yet around us every day are people who need exactly what you have. We need to be good stewards of what God has given to us. I think one of the most important things we need to do is every day remind ourselves this world is temporary. And every day we need to be saying that. I think we need, I, I would encourage you over this next week, every morning, just to get up and say, God, help me to remember what really is temporary and pay attention to that every day. Imagine, though, what could happen if each one of us here as God's people would live every day remembering this is what's most important. And then live like that. Imagine the impact it could have on your marriage and your family. Imagine the impact it could have in the neighborhood that you live in. That you, you just, you're only bothered by the things that really are eternal and that's what you go after. Imagine the impact it could have in the place that you work. The people that you have relationships with. Imagine the impact in our community if as a church we lived every place that we're at as this light for Jesus, recognizing what is real and what is most significant. Jesus is coming back. He will be back soon. Will we be ready?